Welcome back. Hello. Truffle cream sauce, huh? Yeah, white truffle. They have black truffle one too, but black truffle doesn't have as much of a complex flavor okay. as the white stuff. Pretty good. People I really could love just... the sounds of your. <laughs> yeah. I could just imagine using that instead of carrying mushroom soup for Swedish meatballs. Yeah, I mean it, it's a it's an expensive can. I mean, it's ten bucks for a little like mm-hmm. what's it. 6.4 ounce can is not... No, I would blend it with yeah. Campbell's Cream of Mushroom Soup. The truffle flavor is powerful, and you can really, you can tell that. So, uh, you know, it's, it's 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 well done, and it's cheaper than buying a white truffle, which is going to be really very, very expensive for you. On Friday night? Yeah, Friday night I had seared ahi tuna. had a Cajun... It was black and white sesame seeds and a Cajun spice rub mm-hmm. on the outside. Got it rare. So good. Why so would you good. ever want tuna that's not rare? I, I don't know. They asked how you wanted it, right? And I said, you know, like medium. Wait, hold on a second. Rare. <laughs> tuna that isn't rare is cat food. <laughs> yes, sounds sounds mm-hmm. about right. It's so good. Yeah. Okay, so I have a lot of stuff to talk about. Lots right. and lots. Of Throw it at me. All right, let's see here. Ray explains his tweets. You actually responded to one of mine uh, with that. <laughs> yeah. Because I didn't get yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I'll go with that tweet for it. It was the first tweet after the Pluto stuff. Uh, the world does not work how you think it does at all. If you knew without context, it would scare the shit out of you. This applies to a lot of things. It was kind of a universal thing I was talking about. My specific thing I was thinking about was what I traditionally think about is sort of quantum mechanics and stuff like that. But really, it applies to any uh, system that you're only slightly aware of that has broader connections and other things that are going on that you aren't aware of. And that could, you know, that's everything from uh, how you smell things to uh, the businesses that are providing you with uh, electricity and water and all that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. There's all these, there are all these uh, systems that uh, are very, very complicated. And if you were to try to just jump into them without knowing how they work, it seems scary and over overwhelming you have to get an idea for how to understand the system before you can understand the broader implications of that system that was what my cheat was about so the idea is essentially for everything the world doesn't work how you think it does uh and if you whatever you know without context scares you right but why did you tweet that then i was thinking about quantum mechanics but okay. I realized sort of post that it applies to a lot of things. I see. Okay. I thought you were talking to somebody or... No. Something. I was talking to everybody. I was talking to everybody who would who I thought you were talking... I thought you respond. I thought it was an open re, open letter response to something in the media or something no, like that. No, it was more me just sort of... I mean, because I'm still... I'm always learning this stuff. I'm very, very... I'm hyper curious about uh, about quantum mechanics and about how uh, these things work it interests me to know and I keep learning all these things all these things that I didn't know like you know when I started the show and I was you know I, I thought I knew <laughs> I had no idea mm-hmm. when I was uh, when I was yelling you know the first couple years about how awful string theory was I had no idea I still think string theory is not adequate but mm-hmm. I understand it much more now. Okay. I understand where they're coming from. Uh, my problems with string theory have remained, but they're more isolated. They're not as broad as they were before. There are a lot of things that I appreciate about what string theory is trying to do. Um, it's the... But I've never lost the uh, the kind of... Um, the, the the kind of disappointment with the arrogance of string theory, I guess. Okay. The sure. the the idea that uh, well, this is it. This is the only way we have out of this. So we got to keep working on it. And no, I mean, 
this is not it. There's there's lots of ways this could go. And Do you feel that someone, people in particular, or yeah, the, I still, the the the, um, the group? I mean, I'm trying to think of the right word. Everyone who works on string theory, you think they generally feel that way, or no? I, and I think that, or is it just one or two communicators like Brian Green, or it's it's one or two communicators, and I don't fault many. I don't fault Brian Green. Um, I, I do fault people like Michio Kaku who are just plain making yeah. shit up. Uh, Brian Green isn't making shit up. People like Sean Carroll aren't making shit up, but they are kind of devoted to an, an essentially religious premise because it can't be shown to be true. Uh, it can't be definitive. You, you can't. Uh, Demonstrate it, and if it can't be demonstrated, it doesn't matter how pretty it is. I mean, I understand mm-hmm. that beauty has worked in the past, but the reason why beauty works is because we discover something ugly, and then we find the, the beauty in the ugliness, not because it's just beautiful. Um, <laughs> we see these things that we don't understand, and then we finally we learn to understand them and in that understanding is this uh, this cascade of of feelings that is very enjoyable and leads you to look at something as beautiful that doesn't necessarily mean it was always like platonically beautiful and you just had to discover it the process of discovery is what's beautiful the process of understanding how things work and sort of simplifying your understanding of how the broader things work is the beauty it's not that F equals MA is beautiful it's that we discovered how we could interpret F equals MA in a beautiful way so just because something is beautiful in the in our current mathematical understanding doesn't mean it's how things work beauty comes after Mm-hmm. We see something, not before. Sure. It's, um, you know, I'm going to take a much more lay person stance here. I'd like you to comment on it. But, you know, in the macro world, in the general relativity world, you know, everything, I'll use beautiful as a word of saying, everything kind of falls into this organizational structure. I, I would, uh, just a, a quick comment. Mm-hmm. Um, general relativity doesn't play much of a factor. I mean, it's, it's the classical limit of general relativity is still Newtonian physics. So, okay, well, sure, yeah. classical physics, whatever. You know, it's like the whole F equals ma, yeah, and and all that stuff. Everything, you know, it all like it's like I told the story before, but it's like when I finally took physics in eleventh grade, it's like wow, you can use math to describe how stuff works. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was beautiful, right? It made sense. It's like, wow, like you can use this script notation that we use to describe how things work. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that is much less... uh, I'm being careful how I say this because I know you're going to pick it apart because you're such a quantum guy. But when you go from general or Newtonian to quantum... You know, things are much more erratic and much more chaotic, you know. And it's it doesn't just fall into the beauty of nature type thing. You know, from from spiral shells down to orbits, down to, you know, you know, in quantum world, it's, you know, it's random. It, it definitely it's, seems that way. It, and it's as if there is suddenly a, a, a change in the way the universe operates, mm-hmm. right? That, that, that's how it, it, it appears. Uh, that all of a sudden, <laughs> like you, you cross some threshold, you, you you've entered one door, <laughs> and all of a sudden the, it goes from the context of goes from Monet to Picasso. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, the the truth is that we don't totally, and I say we, and I mean we in terms of humanity, not we sure. in terms of me and other people. <laughs> I'm just a, ca- a hanger along, right? I'm a, I'm a pilot fish following these huge sharks that, that know mm-hmm. what they're doing. Uh, and, and I'm chewing up on the chum that maybe gets <laughs> tossed away. Uh, <coughs> the, the truth is that we don't quite know how 
classical mechanics emerges out of quantum mechanics. But everything that we see tells us that it does. Mm-hmm. And we've come up with very accurate predictions on the quantum level and decent enough predictions from that to classical mechanics that we can say this looks like the trend. Sure. So, But it, my initial point, before we go too mm-hmm. far, my initial point was the string theory guys are trying to make something beautiful and elegant. The hell, this book was called The Elegant Universe. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know, like like we're used to seeing... You know, stuff happened in nature in the classical world, but there's this gap. You know, there's this gap in the quantum world, and it goes back to the whole theory of ele- you know unified field theory, mm-hmm. theory of everything, and whatnot. But you know, it just like you were saying, you know, it, you know, your angle was we discover a formula and find the beauty in it later. That's mm-hmm. it, a pretty uh, interesting way of looking at it. One, excuse me, one that I haven't considered. Um, where a slightly different way of looking at it, you know, I think is, you know, in the classical world, things are um, what's deterministic, the, the intuitive, yeah, right, right, and intuitive things can be beautiful more easily mm-hmm. than chaotic things. Excuse yeah. me again. But, you know, so it kind of goes there, you know, and until we are able to find the beauty in quantum mechanics, generally, I mean, you probably find some beauty in. Absolutely. But it's, it, you know, just looking at the system as a whole, I mean, how is the uncertainty principle beautiful? You know, it's. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say the uncertainty principle is. I would say that something like uh, understand. Well, but you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Understanding what it means when you're talking about something like potential, right? If you're talking about the potential of a of a particle, uh, um, and understanding how that what that actually means and uh, how that exists against the background. I, it, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm getting off topic. It's very. It's 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 somewhat inelegant, but it is to me very pretty. Yes. Okay. There's definitely, I mean, it's interesting because what we're trying to predict with quantum theory is not necessarily what we see. What we see is a world with broken symmetries. What we're trying to understand is the symmetries that were there before they were broken. So this is the, the like, the Higgs is all about a, a, a broken symmetry or something more... To, to what we understand, a magnet is a is a broken symmetry, right? If you have a magnet and you're you're lifting up something with that magnet, the reason why that thing is attracted to the magnet is because there's a symmetry that is broken. There's a charge in one area, uh, and there's a, a opposite charge in another area, and so they attract. If there wasn't a charge in this area, then there'd be then there would be a symmetry all around that area. So it's the symmetry broken that causes the action. Essentially, what yeah. we're trying to understand is. What does it look like when the symmetries aren't broken? And then we can understand the, the broken symmetries. Okay. You're, you're losing me. But okay. I'm so, let's sorry. go on to Earth 2.0. <laughs> okay. All right. Earth 2.0 is not... <sighs> Greg's turning... like You can see like steam coming out of his ears. <laughs> I'm, I'm just... I'm, I'm conflicted. I understand why they're making it like, oh, this is Earth 2.0, this is another Earth. It's really not, but I understand why they're doing it. They're just trying to get people excited about what they're doing. But this is not... The way that they should do that is they should have a new Twitter account for Kepler 538B and be all anthropomorphic about it and like, hey guys, I'm Earth 2.0. I, I, <laughs> you know, that's back to my, my rant about yeah. I hate how their spacecraft yeah. Twitter accounts are right. first person. Yeah. It's the same sort of thing. I, you know, I sort of have to accept it as opposed to just, you know, I mean, what is NASA when it, when it gets down to it? It's a, it's, it's a politically uh, viable jobs program. Really, it's, it's so 
by inspiring people to think, oh, this is a new Earth. If you help people think that NASA's doing good stuff, mm-hmm. then it's a good thing. If you really are looking at it, if you really want to understand it, then of course it's nothing like Earth. It's, I mean, it's it's probably closer to Earth than other things that we've found. Well, I mean, that's kind of what it is. It's the closest yeah. thing yet. Yeah. And we keep getting better and better at yeah. finding yeah. small, rocky objects around other stars. Yeah, and the implications are that... I mean, Kepler is only looking at one... I mean, Kepler is the only way we can find these things right now is this sort of transit method. So we're only seeing things that happen to be... Uh, we happen to be seeing across the ecliptic, so we can see when things cross. Right. So that's like yeah. one in 180. Yeah, or whatever. Yeah, exactly. You know, if, um, if a degree is a small enough... Right. If the equivalence principle holds and a degree is... If know, a degree is small yeah. enough, but say half a degree, so one yeah. in 360. Right. You know, So we're only able to observe one every 360 stars. They're close enough. Right, yeah. So... It might the implications even... are we keep finding these things that uh, will, un- you know, these actually, things are everywhere. Actually, it's probably much less than a degree. I, I, I honestly do not know. Um, but, you know, Kepler's looking at, at oculations, right? It's looking yeah, at, right, at, right. So it's looking at transits. Um We don't, you know, the, the other ways that we've been able to find stuff were by mass i i have a a very basic kind of understanding because i don't really uh, know much about th- this field i mean it hasn't been something that i've really researched as much from but what i've been able to understand i think i've talked about this before i question the uh the model that we currently have of solar system dynamics i think that there's evidence to show that it was not i mean our planetary system was likely a lot like some of these hot Jupiters that we've seen before and then the, the stuff migrated out and the stuff that's, and stuff gets left behind these moons of these larger planets become Earth and Mercury and Mars and Venus and stuff like that. I haven't seen too much to support that really. What I see is there's a lot of hot Jupiters. We see a lot of them. We see them typically around big hot stars though, aren't they? We see them around big young stars, and we see them around small red stars that have been around for a long time. And then we see in these rarer stars, like the sun, these G-type stars, uh, if they're older, we see something like the Kepler season, that the big planets have migrated out, and there are little ones in there. It kind of makes me think that there's a lot of dynamics going on early in these systems. If the system is large enough, there's maybe some interaction that's pushing these big things out, and then there's lots of three-body interactions tossing shit around, some outside and some Mm -hmm. is remaining inside. So... Okay, so that's how a moon would turn into a solar orbit. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I know not even a fraction of enough to this, see this how is, this plausible is pure it is. speculation. Yeah. It's a pure conjecture on my yeah. Point. I, I, I mean, from from my point of view, I, I'd want to see more data about stars Me like too. ours. You know, mm-hmm. like and but they're and, rare. I mean, only like ten percent of stars are like ours. Our stars is a pretty rare kind of star. Most stars are well, dwarfs. okay. Only ten percent are stars like ours. How many kinds of stars? Are in your ten percent categorization scheme, you know, like is it five kinds or twenty kinds? Uh, or... I mean, but, so if you're talking about like eighty different kinds of stars and ten percent of stars like ours, that's a lot. That's a high oh, percentage. It's, it's a lot of stars, but it's but... a high percentage. You know, so how many? You said we're pretty rare. Yeah, only ten percent. Right. For something that's ten percent of the universe to be rare, then there only has to be like three or four kinds of stars that you're classifying. Well, there are, yeah, there are three or four kinds of stars that are on different sort of mass scales and different sort of... So there, there are, you know, are, we have a G-type star, there are K-types. There, there are other stars that are sort of similar. But, but, my, but my first question is, 
how many like how many types are there that you're talking about in this general grouping? I want to say there are eight. I think there are eight star types right now. I'm not sure if that's exactly on point. Uh, but the point is... So we're slightly below average then, right? Because if there's eight star types and we only have 10%, then... No, there are, like, we see that 70% of the stars out there are basically these red dwarfs. Okay. Um, around 10% are... Um, so we're the second most popular kind of star. No, we're probably uh, third or fourth. Okay. Uh, you know, we're, we're pretty... It's a pretty massive star, the, the sun. It, it, it's not one of these hypergiants or supergiants, but it's, it's more massive than most. Okay. Uh, and... So we don't see these stars as often as we see a bunch of these other stars. We don't see, you know, we see very few of these, you know, giants, these hypergiants and blue giants. We see not a whole lot of of sun-like stars compared to the amount of, you know, red dwarfs and things that are closer to red dwarfs in terms of mass. All right. I have to go potty. All right. I noticed you say potty instead of pee. Kids. For fun. For fun. Well, I said it for you mostly, not for the kids. I, isn't it sort of just... Well, we'll talk about it later. Go. Okay, we're back. Do you want to talk about potties or Kepler, or what do you want to talk about now? Um, let's see. More tweets? More tweets. <coughs> I, I, uh, a couple, I did a couple stories about... Um, a couple tweets about stories, rather. Because uh, I was considering uh, Jurassic Park and Terminator uh, uh, Genesis was even worse. <laughs> and um, tie? Hmm? Is it a tie? No, no, no. Terminator Genesis was definitely worse than Jurassic. Park. Okay. And then I just saw Ant Man. I loved it. I thought it was great. I saw a couple of people commenting about Ant Man. I mean, the the science is of course silly, but here's the thing. This is the tweet. One, do interesting characters drive the story? Two, is the story at least structurally sound and interesting? Three, how's the science? And then my next tweet was, that's what I care about in entertainment. If I'm complaining about the science, then one and two are so poor, that's all I can latch on to. Okay. Yeah, I saw that one. Yeah. Dave was responding to it or something. I yeah. think so, yeah. So, if it's a cartoon... I'm okay with it being a cartoon. Ant-Man's a cartoon. These are all cartoons that we're watching. These are not, you know. But if all I can, if I'm watching and I'm not interested enough in what's going on, and it's not, I'm not following, and the characters aren't driving, mm-hmm. the characters aren't there, and the motivations aren't clear, and I'm just paying attention to the science, that's a bad sign for your movie. So if I'm complaining about the science, um, you've already failed. Yes. You're not complaining about the science in Guardians of the Galaxy. Right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you, you, a part of your mind is it, it notices it, but then the rest of you is so tickled by what's going on on screen that you don't care. Mm-hmm. Uh, the science in Ant-Man is absurd and ridiculous, quote-unquote science. is absurd and ridiculous, but it doesn't matter. It's a cartoon. You're having fun. I wasn't having a lot of fun watching Jurassic World. I had pretty much no fun watching the Terminator movie. I was not... The characters were awful. The story was scattershot all over the place. There were no motivations going on. This is fundamentally, I'm talking, you know, I care about science a lot. But in entertainment, I don't care about my science unless I have to. Right. Unless I'm forced to by the entertainment. So that's sort of, it's more of a criticism of some other type of entertainment stuff going on. I did some other story tweets, like, for example... Uh, where is this? I did a lot of tweets, so I had a lot to explain. <laughs> uh, this was, I, I thought, uh, this was a good tweet. So this is uh, an important thing to learn about storytelling. Stories don't end. They resolve. Okay. Uh, you learn and solve the problem, and you let the larger story continue. I think this is, you know, this is how you create universes. Right. You, you create a universe you have a story in that universe you let the story resolve but you don't 
you don't say the end and you don't say that the universe ends at this point you keep the person's imagination going on in that universe they can they can keep making up stories for themselves we're all storytellers fundamentally if you intrigue somebody enough that they keep thinking about other stories that are going on in that world then you've done your job and that's what you're doing by making a story you're highlighting this is the universe this is how things work here's a traditional story told in that universe now you take it and run with right. it in your imagination that's cool yeah I get it Greg explains his treats works <laughs> Amazon Anonymous yeah let's do that alright so I found an item that caught my attention and that is the Jackie handheld tally counter four digit mechanical palm clicker counter it's only three dollars and eighty eight eighty six cents with free oh, it's shipping. One of those, yeah, click, 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 yeah. So a clickety clickety click thing. It looks like you. It looks like it's actually oriented. There's two levers: one for your thumb, one for your finger. Mm. So you don't get RSI from clicking the same one over and over again. The uh, you can get it in different colors. Look at that. You can get a green one, an orange one. Good for pitch counts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, it generally gets pretty good reviews. It has a four and a half star rating with 104 customer reviews. 67% give it five stars. Number one, great for knitting and crochet. I absolutely love this. Most convenient and least expensive counter that I've seen in half a century of knitting and crocheting. It comes in a number of colors. The prices are... And the prices here, even for the fancier colors... Or a pittance of what a couple knitting shops went for it. I bought two and I'm going to get more to just leave in my knitting bags. I'm not sure if she's going to need more. She's been knitting for half a century. but I mean, if it hopefully helps, they, it helps. Hopefully they don't wear out too soon. Alright, so I picked um, the replacement filters for AeroPress 350 pack. Mm. And the reason why is because I just want to stress about people how awesome AeroPress is. Uh, I have one at work. I have, I now have an electric uh, grinder. Okay. Uh, electric burr grinder that I got. Um, you know, it's not the most expensive one. I got like a Cuisinart one that's mm-hmm. like eighty bucks. So, you, know, you grind it right there, put it in the Aeropress, get my water up to one hundred ninety in the microwave, and then uh, do the Aeropress thing. So much better than the work coffee. <laughs> like yeah, I yeah. tried it recently. Tried the work coffee, and I was like, oh my god. <laughs> what was I drinking? <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. I'm curious how you do it because I've learned how to do it from uh, some videos that I saw, like some baristas. Okay, yeah. There's like a bunch of ways yeah. to do it. Um, I actually simplified mine from the award-winning barista one video I saw. So I will heat the water to 190 to 195. I haven't noticed much discernible difference between those five degrees. Mm-hmm. I don't like 200, though. I stay away from no, 200. No, I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd go for 190. And I will do a pretty fine grind on... You have different grinders, so I can't really tell you the set how I set the setting on mine so much. I do it between uh, medium and fine, so it's... Okay, so mine's like the, the gap between fine and very fine yeah, on the Compresso okay. grinder. We actually, I actually have the same grinder at home that we have at work. Um it's that one that I found for four bucks at the church white <laughs> elephant sale. You know, yeah. an eighty dollar grinder for four bucks, pretty good. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, so I will put the grinds in. I don't do the upside down method. I'm sure you've seen the upside down method. I, uh, I put the grinds in the AeroPress. I will fill it about halfway with water and stir it. Stir it for probably about ten to twelve seconds. You know. To make sure everything's wet and then a little bit more. And then I pretty much fill the rest of the cylinder with water. And I will put the plunger in. And I'll wait, depending on my patience, 20 to 40 seconds. And then I press it out. That's kind of my method. So my method is somewhat similar. I get to 190. I grind, like I said, to a sort of a... And then I add hot water to the cup to fill it up. It's about 16 ounces. So I do um, a medium fine grind. 
uh, and uh, I, the first thing I do is I I heat the water to uh, I get hot water out of our thing and I pour a little bit of water into the filter just to wet the filter and um, sometimes I wet the filter I haven't noticed any difference from wetting the filter or not I I just do it because it's easy do that then put it in the microwave wait till it gets the temperature uh, you know pour out the water that was used to wet it put it in the grinds and then fill it about uh, halfway with water stir it not long only about five or six seconds uh, and then let it sit for about 30 seconds then some of that will go through some of it won't then I put in the re- hot water up to four roughly and I put the top on and then I let it sit for probably about a minute uh, so that's like it's, it's sort of mm-hmm. uh, conditioning the grounds and then brewing and then I push down slowly and you sometimes it fills up, sometimes it doesn't. You definitely allow for a longer steep than yeah. I do. Uh, I put the top on a lot sooner so less leaks out, yeah. you know, half-brewed. Uh, guys I work with who do the upside-down method are really worried about that half-brewed part, so they don't want anything leaking out. So have you seen the upside-down method? I, I've seen, yeah, I've seen videos of it. So that's the one where you, you put the plunger in at the very top, you take the filter basket off, and you put the grains in the water in that way. Then you screw on the filter basket, and you steep it upside down. Then you flip it over and press it. Mm-hmm. It just I I don't lose a lot of liquid the way I do it, so I'm not too worried about yeah. something that's more complicated and or risk of. I'm not too worried about burns, but I mean there, there's more risk there here. Yeah. So I mean, I like my method. It produces a pretty consistent uh, cup of coffee and. Uh, yeah, whatever, whatever you enjoy. So I think it's interesting that we can do all this and just, <laughs> uh, yeah. Sometimes I do add hot water if there's not enough that comes out. You know, it depends. How on, much coffee do you put in? I I use um, a lot. Uh, I I do I use two scoops of whole beans with yeah. the AeroPress scoop. That's what I grind. Um, I do. I think it. I, I grind it to the six cups. So that's what I put in. So it's okay. a lot of grains. Um, yeah, so I'll take the you know the, the scoop that comes with it. I'll take two full, barely heaping yeah. scoops, and that's what I use. I'm not sure how many grams of coffee that is. But the usefulness of that is that the bitterness really comes at the end of you know when you're getting the last of the oils. Out, mm-hmm. and that's where the bitterness comes from. So if you overdo it on the coffee grinds, then you're likely not get the the real bitter stuff. Right. So I definitely overdo it. Yeah, sometimes it can fill up to the, the like the two mark, <laughs> if it's you know, depending mm-hmm. on, on how much I grind. Um, so yeah, it's you know, it's all personal. But yeah, so I that's the one thing about the AeroPress though; it uses more coffee than other brewing methods. Absolutely, absolutely, but it's worth it. Yes, absolutely. Okay, what else do I got here? So my sister had a opinion column about how it how Pluto Pluto should be a planet again. Uh, I saw that. Yeah, I was like, no, Pluto is just a big comet. <laughs> uh, but then I said, Jupiter would probably consider Earth just a big lost moon. <laughs> so I saw that series of tweets. That was pretty yeah. good. What did your sister say? Anything? Or uh, she said, uh, I don't trust Jupiter as far as I can throw it. That's right. <laughs> and I didn't respond to it. But I, you know, was thinking about like, well, you. You can try. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to throw you. Yeah. Um, let's see. JD sent us something about uh, podcast percentages. We were almost, we were both like, that's it's weird. We never really those things are always hard to track. This more. Oh, oh, the yeah. I. Uh, so the survey, I was, I was surprised that people were generally satisfied with the analytics. Mm-hmm. I guess because I don't want to use PodTrack or something. Or um, SoundCloud or... Well, yeah, I mean, you know, if I don't want to use uh, PodTrack or Libsyn or something like that and give up control of my feed, mm-hmm. then I'm I'm giving up some of the stuff. But I can't believe so many people are satisfied with the analytics. That's my hardest part. Um, okay, so this was <clears throat> sort of on the topic we were talking about science-wise. I said, at one point, gravity seemed magical and nonsensical. 
superposition will seem intuitive in 150 years. I definitely believe that. Yeah, okay. Um, okay, so I had a series of tweets that were basically about a um, people who have a deterministic understanding of, of a God concept. Okay. And are still preaching. Right? So if you believe that um, God, whatever, there's something that made the universe and knows exactly how it's going to turn out, right? It knows the eventual end of everything, you know, is not playing a game, is actually uh, very much in control of the situation. Uh, this would be the sort of classical theistic God, perhaps even the neoclassical, depending on who you okay. Means that my so the question is about my. If you're preaching, that means that you're trying to convince me of something, or you're trying to say that I'm doing something wrong, or, or that something mm-hmm. is happening that's outside of the purview of God's ability to control it. Right. So, so first one was if I don't have any choice in the matter, why wouldn't it want me to doing why wouldn't it want me to be doing exactly what I'm doing right now? Right. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't, if whatever it is doesn't have any choice in what it's doing, if it's just if so, God, this is the God is good. God just does good things. That's all God can do. God doesn't have a choice. So what is happening has to be good ultimately. Does that really? I I, I thought a big part of that was that the humans have choice and you have to choose to be good. And but God knows how it's all going to turn out. Yeah, but God doesn't care if you go to hell. No, God doesn't care if I go to hell. It's not a question of me. It's a question of what I'm doing is still part of the plan. God's plan. Oh, you think he knows whether you're predetermined to go to hell or not? Well, he whether or not he knows whether I personally am going to hell or not, he knows how it's all going to turn out ultimately. Like, he knows how the system is, <laughs> this system is going to end in this particular really? state. I mean... That, that's what they're saying. I mean, they're saying that... The universe has a purpose that God is doing, and God knows exactly what's okay. going to happen. All right, all right. Well, I mean, I, I don't know for sure about that, but what about the angle of, okay, they believe that, and they believe... I'm only talking to those people with these tweets. Right, but they believe that God has predetermined them to preach to you, because preaching to you will save you. Um, But... They, they can't not preach to you because it's predetermined. Right. They can preach all they want, but... And they feel that preaching to you is effective because by preaching to you, you'll be saved. Well, someone will be saved. Not necessarily me. It's sort of a... right. It's, it's, a, it's a Hoover. <laughs> well, sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, it's all... Yeah. I'm well, not saying this is rock solid logic. No, I'm just th- saying... Well, my, my point is that you could... Whatever you're doing you're doing and you know you're you are there to preach i am there to not listen to you <laughs> and how dare you then assume that i'm being wrong i'm doing exactly what your god intends me to do whether i believe it or not does it ultimately doesn't matter in the end but maybe you just need a little more coaxing and god wants them to coax you a little bit more. maybe but that'll happen when that happens Right, right. It, but, but you can't say that. Uh, I mean, you, you you can't say that that Hitler was wrong with this idea, right? Because it was all part of God's plan ultimately for this st- stuff to happen. It was bad, but it's going to lead to good in the end. It's a it's a terrible logical argument, but mm-hmm. I'm still, you know, fighting you know fighting it because. That's what I do. Uh, so the second was if I ha- if it it is God or whatever it is. If it what if it's a simulation that somebody is making and they have they're doing a simulation for a purpose, mm-hmm. right? And a purpose that is totally incon- incomprehensible to you or me. Right, right. We're just yeah. uh, we're just noise on right. the side of the right. experiment. Right. But the the simulation is being done for a purpose, and that purpose will be completed with or without. 
well, we're part of that simulation, right? If it had choice in the matter, why wouldn't it want me to be doing exactly what I'm doing right now? I mean, the whole point is to see what happens. Who so, knows? Maybe yeah. craft beer radio is the reason the universe is in existence. Maybe some homebrewing beer nerd super entity set up an experiment so Maybe. craft beer radio would evolve. And so the th- third retreat, and I ended all, all these with why wouldn't it want me to be doing exactly what I'm doing right now? That was the mm-hmm. sort of through line. Was if it has power and knowledge to know the ultimate outcome, why wouldn't it want me to be do, doing exactly what I'm doing right now? Just follows. I hear you. Amen, brother. <laughs> uh, I retweeted when, uh, so. <laughs> Uh, Dan Harmon did a, uh, and Ryan, uh, Ryan Ridley and Justin Roiland from Rick and Morty did a, uh, interview with the AV club and, okay. uh, Dan Harmon said, oh, please, Sorkin couldn't touch me. I want that in print. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was great. So I retreated that. Cause yeah, Sorkin can't touch him. Come mm-hmm. on. He's, <laughs> Sorkin sucks. There's some things I love Sorkin at. Like I thought, um... Uh, Social Network is a great script. But, ooh, that guy has trouble telling stories. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, he has trouble with characters. Let me put it that way. He has real trouble with character. So this came up from a discussion I was hearing somewhere else. Uh, I wonder where they put all the paperwork that has to be involved in the government's 9-11 mind control chemtrail race war planning programs. <laughs> it's the government. It makes a lot of paperwork, right? Uh, right. I, I remember somebody on some podcast mentioned, uh, what about all the paperwork that was being destroyed? You know, all the paperwork that... The, the reason why Building 7 was destroyed because of all the paperwork. And, and uh, mm-hmm. they were mentioning, what about, what about the paperwork that goes into planning 9-11? Where'd that go? <laughs> Where's all the paperwork for all these other, you know, crazy stuff? Because it's got to have a lot of fucking paperwork. Right. Not at OPM, that's for sure. Mm. Uh, uh, Trump doesn't give a shit about Mexicans. Hell, Trump doesn't give a shit about America. Trump cares about Trump. So, you know, I've been kind of out of the loop this past week, right? Mm. You know, when you're on vacation, you don't follow a ton of news. And... uh, So I'm not really sure how to feel about Trump. Is this all publicity because the next season of The Apprentice is starting? or Well, no, uh, NBC canceled him because he said disparaging remarks about... Uh... Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Huh, I, I didn't, I didn't yeah, hear that. NBC fired him. Um, no, Trump's just trying to... I, I, honestly, I don't totally know what Trump's doing. I, I, I look at it more as kind of like performance art. Whatever it is, it's very Herman Cain from last presidential cycle. Remember mm. when Herman Cain was like mm-hmm. on top for right. who knows? You're just saying ridiculous shit. He's Trump, just riding the wave, huh? Trump is doing that. It, it, he's extending the wave by really appealing to what is right now um, a very large or a, a substantially large percentage of the Republican base, which is white racists i saw i saw a really good tweet from nate silver saying i wonder how many respondents are just trolling the pollsters <laughs> i mean and then you know trump even goes like specifically racist he said i love latinos i don't like mexicans <laughs> real specific maybe it's just really good satire <laughs> if it is it's brilliant Maybe he's been working up his whole life to start an improv routine. I mean, Damien always you know says jokingly, "Yeah, it's Trump. He's telling the truth." But I'm thinking he's like you know that's what people are you know feel like he's just telling the truth. He's saying and, it like it is. Yeah, the funny thing is nobody with a fucking hairstyle like that is telling the truth about anything. <laughs> You have to do that fucking shit with your hair because you're that insecure. You're not telling the truth. 
I did see a story. The only thing I really caught about Trump this week was some dude, I forget who, forget who he's with, but he wrote a book about Trump, right? And about Trump's value. And kind of like how he says his value kind of fluctuates based on the markets and on how he feels about himself or something. Mm. And, you know, he's like completely full of shit that he's worth $10 billion and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have more details. I wasn't planning on talking about this. But, uh, yeah, it seems like he's a bit delusional. Just a bit. He's not the... I, I think it's sometimes... We've talked about this before. People buy into their own bullshit. Mm-hmm. It's depressing, easy to do. That's part of why I think <laughs> this podcast works because we have each other to bounce off of and at least call each other when we're being obvious bullshit. We, we think alike, so it's not a perfect right. situation. But when we're obviously bullshitting, we'll have each other to call each other out on it. I don't think Trump is, has... It's like the... Um, oh, hell. What show was I watching? Well, it's like where... the Apple reality distortion field, right? It's like that... Right, but right. There is a, there's a... Oh, Silicon Valley, right? Mm-hmm. Where no one would tell Gavin that he was yeah. full of shit, right? Even his, his yogi was exactly. there just to keep his job. Pilotfish. Mm-hmm. Swimming along. Uh, this is another tweet I had. This was a, this was a personal, well, not personal, yeah, personal. I want to be wrong. You can't learn anything if you're right all the time. Sure, that's good. Uh, that's, I, I, I try to always question what's in front of me. I don't know if, I, I, I'm sure I'm not always successful, um, but I actually am invigorated when I find out that I'm wrong about something as opposed to, I mean, I guess it depends on what it, what it is I'm wrong about. But for a lot of things, especially when I find out that my intuition about something was completely wrong, okay. I'm really curious about why and where that comes from. Uh, and I want to know. So... Uh, I, it's it's kind of an excitement that happens when something when I'm wrong about something. So I kind of appreciate that. It's boring if you're right all the time. Okay. Mm-hmm. You get a lot of tweets, man. Yeah. Well, you you've gone for <laughs> a while. Uh, opposing uh, net neutrality is like tearing down busy highways. It kills commerce. Imposing net neutrality. Opposing. Opposing. Oh. We'll see what the the big cable companies are co-opting what net neutrality means, right? I mean, they're trying to make it uh, be their stance where they're doing this before with the whole, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a series, it's a series of tubes. It's not a big truck, you know, that whole <laughs> That whole thing. Yeah. They were twisting net neutrality and the lobbyists were twisting net neutrality to make it sound like I'm trying to remember exactly how their argument went, but basically it was they were flipping it, right? And saying that by making everything forced equal, that's not neutral. Right. And that's totally wrong headed and the reason why I say that is by comparing it to roads. Think about how roads work. Roads bring commerce and they allow for interchange of commerce at a much more accelerated rate than you would otherwise be able to do. Mm-hmm. That's the whole point. The more right. roads that we build, the more access there is. And that's why infrastructure is so important. The internet has become a part of our infrastructure. We have to have more roads. We have to keep building more roads and keep adding more roads so we have more connections, so we have more places that commerce can flow. That's the whole point. Uh, When you do that, then you get things, new stuff to come out of what you've been able to do. You now have businesses that can... Yeah, I mean, you have things that can sort of, you know, leech on to what's going on, but then they can build businesses out of that. You, Mm -hmm. You... are you're doing a whole bunch of 
interconnectivity, which causes it's just it, it's flow for commerce. Right. I mean, I am all for an open and free internet. Yeah. I do appreciate. I don't agree with everything that they want to do, but I do appreciate part of the ISPs complaints with companies like Netflix. Netflix is the biggest generator of bandwidth right during prime time on right the internet. now they are. right now they are using interconnects out on the internet that are based on equal peering agreements but netflix is 97 percent download right but here's the point if netflix wasn't popular you may have an argument Netflix is popular. This is a model that's going to continue and going to be increasingly relevant. You can't shut that down. If you do, right. you're shutting down something. But right, when you when you have a when you have a lopsided traffic traversing a link, it it doesn't. It's the not beneficial is, for the, the receiver. The point is at the the point is that you have to start building up your links. You have to start increasing the size of your canals. You have to start increasing the, you have to start building more lanes in your highways, not closing your highways, not, right, put, right. not making them toll highways. But the problem is now I am not a Verizon sympathist. I'm not a Comcast sympathist, but I do appreciate part of their argument. And the part of the argument I appreciate is so the, so Netflix's ISP is, I don't know who, but let's just say, I'll say level four. Right. Level three is a real company. Level four is not a real company. I'll call their ISP level four. Level four and Comcast have a peering agreement, mm -hmm. which means as long as the up and down traffic between those two links is at least 60-40 or something like that, then it's free. Traffic can traverse that link, and they'll build it out as, as, as needed and whatnot. The problem is that the traffic between Level 4 and Comcast is like 90% inbound to Comcast. Comcast, now, before you jump on me, I will have, there's a caveat to this, but Comcast's argument is that we're not, we have to put more money into this link and it's not benefiting us because the person Fuck on the you, other side right the person on the other side is charging the customers and we have to build the road but we aren't the government to support this traffic and we're not getting provides, additional income the government provides you with electricity you know with, with the legal framework to get your electricity really cheaply your water really cheaply mm -hmm. your employees to your business really cheaply right. to process everything to give to to do background checks on your employees to to give your employees <clears throat> uh commerce you need to give mm -hmm. them paychecks the government is is enabling comcast to do its fucking job to to be able to make the money it's making is because the government is there and with that giant fucking framework that it can work on. If that framework wasn't there, then fucking Comcast wouldn't be able to do nearly the kind of job making the money it's doing. So yeah, you're going to have to spend some money, Comcast. You're getting way a way better deal out of this than you were, than you were claiming. Oh, right, right. But the, So then there's the asshole side, right? Well, we're not legally bound to do this right now. So we're not going to... You know, it's the same with taxes, right? We're going to hold money offshore. We're going to do all this shit. You know, because it's the most cost-effective way. Well, then guess to do what, it. Comcast? You're you are hurting yourself, hurting your future huh. revenue. For, but for short -term most of Comcast customers have no other option. They can't that with their feet. That's the huge problem. Is that yeah? If there were, if if every place had thirty different ISPs that they could choose from, then I could see an argument against net neutrality. That's not the case. You have one, two, generally max. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're seldomly yeah, equal. Yeah. So we have to start regulating this like it's a utility because we need to get this commerce out to everybody. That helps everybody in the long run. I hear you. I hear you. I'm not saying I'm not a sympathist for yeah. Comcast. I hate the idea of them doing more than providing the roads. It's uh, 
traditional peering agreements, I don't think are going to necessarily last in the same instantiation they are now, except for the biggest internet cross connections. Right. Because the internet is the delivery medium of choice these days. It's all flowing to the end user. I really hate the idea that Netflix has to pay Comcast for access to Comcast's customers. Mm-hmm. That just sounds so wrong. I'm not for that at all. I was just trying to talk through why they are no, I, I, justifying. I, your, your, uh, your arguments, I, I feel, are decent ones. I feel that I can refute them. But I, you know, but they're not terrible arguments. Mm-hmm. But they don't take into consideration everything that Comcast is getting out of the deal, uh, and just are short sighted on Comcast's personal profits without understanding that no Comcast, you're part of a larger system. Deal with the fact you're going to have to spend some money. It's worth it in the long run for you and for everybody else too. Right. If if customers had choice to move to different providers, then there would be. Open providers mm-hmm. who didn't charge. Absolutely. Right. And, and then the economies of scale would go in, and they, guess what? They'd find that, yeah. They'd... The, the open providers would be winning out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a. Uh... Netflix is a hard problem. You know, I mean, it's, it's kind of a. I mean. Netflix is a. All of a sudden, it turned into a big city. So we have to start building a lot of these roads out of it. And a lot of these different... And train mm-hmm. and rails and, and all this type of stuff to, in order to make stuff up because right. it's, it's becoming bigger and bigger. But, but it's also a sign that we're going to have to build up all of our roads to be better capable. It's like we have to build up our electric system to, to handle more capacity. We have to build up our roads to be able to deal with more traffic right but the thing with netflix that is like so new season of orange is new black comes out and there's 16 episodes that means that a million comcast customers are downloading 16 million episodes across this uplink Mm -hmm. where with a little bit of intelligence in the system there could be a netflix caching device inside of comcast which would pull down 16 gigabytes of data instead of 16 million gigabytes of data and distributed internally on the network. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's things like that. Well, so the question is, that means it'd be cheaper for Comcast to do that and they should buy it should that be from cheaper Netflix should instead be... of Netflix is charged for it. They, they should buy that from Netflix because they're, because the roads have to be Neutral. Well, it's cheap, so it should they, be cheaper for both, and Netflix should provide that. If it if, if it makes it if it makes business easier for Netflix, you know, it's a low cost thing. They should no, be trying no, to I, get. I disagree. It's so, like, but it, but okay. So, but here's part of the thing: Verizon has its own video service. They're being all monopolistic about it. They don't want the the Netflix caching device on their network. Mm-hmm. They want the Verizon video streaming to have an advantage. Right. And that's fucked up, too. Yeah. That's really fucked up. Very fucked up. But it's like you if you build a distribution center in a different city, that you... You want to you want to bring that commerce in. You don't want to force them to... You don't charge them for it. You encourage them to come. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, Comcast would be much better off and it's much cheaper for them if they, in their major ports like in New York City, they rent from Netflix a sort of mini Netflix that they can run right. on. Right. No, I hear you. Server. But I, th- I think part of their thing is why should we save on expenses when we could get a look over here and increase it revenue by extorting Netflix? Right, because and someone's saying that increasing revenue by extorting Netflix is better than saving on expenses. Right, and and the whole fucking point is because we've found out a long time ago that guess what, extortion uh, leads to problems, not solutions. 
It's not because extortion is specifically illegal. Extortion is specifically illegal because it causes problems. It's not because it's just bad. It's because it causes problems. So we try to get extortion out of the system and deal with keeping things as neutral as they, as we can and lead to more beneficial relationships overall. Yes, but Comcast is a publicly traded company and no one cares for anything more than the next three months. That I can't change. Next quarter's financial results, fiscal financial results is all they want. Mm-hmm. And if we can extort Netflix and get a couple hundred million dollars out of them by charging them access to our customers, sounds like a pretty good way to bump the numbers. So we're going to try to fucking change the law so we so we were able to extort them, even though it's bad for everybody, including us. Yeah, no, that's... Because we can lobby a bunch of dumb fuck non-technical people in Congress. Uh-huh. Yeah. See how it all boils down to this, like, petty shit? What about, a, like, a basic aptitude test before you can run for office? You can't do that. You should be able to do that. No, you shouldn't. A bunch of, bunch of no, ignorant, really, ignorant, dumb fucks really, running the country. That's... You have to let that happen. Otherwise, you're not honoring the the central agreement between each other, the, the mm-hmm. agreement that we have, the social agreement, which is that that doesn't matter, that we're all valuable. <laughs> makes me angry. <laughs> that pandering to your base gets you elected. It's, it's, a, it's a social thing, it's a cultural thing that we have to deal with, but you have to be confident that Either we'll deal with it, or it will cause a major problem. One way or the other, the problem takes care of itself. Uh, this is why there's no. Well, this is this, this is, is why there's no intelligent life out there that we've contacted <laughs> because they've all stumbled upon democracy, and democracy doesn't scale beyond here. Well, the, the real thing is, this is a very ancient story. Right? This is Cassandra. This is somebody who knows the future, but then everybody around them doesn't believe them uh, <laughs> you you see the way things are headed and it's not good you keep telling people you're heading towards an iceberg and they're saying no we're not it's not saying no or not it's 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 not prudent to to base your policies on the betterment of humanity because it's more prudent to get elected for the next four right. years Whereas the whole point is, it actually is prudent to base on the better humanity because that's how we work. But our system's not set up that way. Cassandra, what can you do? You try to, you know, you, Job, you're screaming at the universe. The universe is screaming back to you. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. And that's why there's no intelligent life out there contacting us because they probably all fell into the same trap we fell, we're falling into. And don't think that it doesn't apply. I mean, the, the ridiculous racists are, are screaming the same things. You know, they're, they're saying, don't you understand? Mixing the racist is only bad. And it's just, and that's their understanding of the world. And, it, and it's, it's small and petty to us um, because we are dealing, I mean, <laughs> See, I wasn't asking for an aptitude test to be able to vote. I was only asking an aptitude test to be able to run for office. Right, but who determines what that aptitude test is? How do we determine that aptitude test? Can that aptitude test change? (laughs) It should be based on... The science that I feel is right. <laughs> there. Easy peasy. Okay, I think that's enough for today. There's much more. I have lots more to talk about. <laughs> I have this, and I have a whole fucking... I have all these notes that I wrote down. 
We get you got as much post show shit to talk about as we got beers in the fridge we have to work through. Yeah, like it, I had a lot to talk about, and you weren't here, and I was fucking angry that I couldn't talk about this shit. <laughs> so yeah, I, I want to keep going, but I also want to get home. All it's, right, it's Sunday. Have a good night, everybody. Thank you for listening. Uh, if you listen this far, and should we give a uh, a code word? Uh, Mike Switch, M I C S W I T C H. That's the brand of our things that Jeff may have a broken one, but I think Jeff probably just got water in it because that's what uh, that's what I do is yeah. I put water in things. <laughs> I did not put water in this one. I think it's, it's working now. Uh, yeah, it's working good now. It, but yeah, it just sounds like the switch in there is not making great contact. Mike Switch. Mike Switch. Mike Switch.